even though we've made great strides in the U.S. lowering the, the mortality rate for cardiovascular disease the last 50 to 60 years, one stat has remained unchanged, and that is for patients who are newly diagnosed with coronary heart disease. For half those patients, the way we find out they have that disease is they have a heart attack. And for a big chunk of those patients, it's the first and fatal heart attack. So we need to go upstream to find CAD earlier. Welcome to The Core, a podcast series brought to you by CoreVista Health, pioneering digital health to transform the way cardiovascular diseases are diagnosed. Please welcome today's host, Scott Berger, CoreVista's Executive Vice President and Chief Commercial Officer. Join me in another discussion with Tim Atterbury, CEO of Cardiovascular Associates of America. In this podcast, Tim and I discuss the latest challenges today in our healthcare environment. We talk about the impact the pandemic has on hospitals, staffs, and patients. Tim, thank you and welcome back to The Core. We appreciate you joining us again and look forward to hearing about what you are seeing in this challenging and ever-changing healthcare environment and ways technology may be able to help. So uh, I wanted to talk with you a little bit about the transformation of AI and machine learning and all the new technologies that are coming into cardiovascular care and what they mean for your CVA USA, the healthcare in in the United States and across the world and and hospitals in general. How how do you see that transforming the way cardiovascular care is given? A couple of broad points. So we we know, again, cardiovascular disease, number one cause of death worldwide, number one cost driver for populations age 45 and older. When we think about AI and machine learning, the promise of AI machine learning is to bring about solutions that are evidence-based, taking millions and millions of pieces of data that the human brain could never, in its limited, infinite ability, could bring together at one time and digest, that we're going to use AI as an enhancement of the care delivery system. It's not a replacement for physicians, obviously, but it's an enhancement. And the machine learning part, the supervised machine learning in particular, where you can take limit the data and learn a lot from that, that holds great promise because we now have the ability with AI machine learning to precisely identify what may be going on with this patient at this point in time. Before AI machine learning, we had a broad idea and we had to then use multiple tests possibly or multiple interactions with the patient to narrow down what's going on. The value of AI machine learning is what I would call precision medicine. It provides for enhanced precision at enhanced time or an abbreviated amount of time. Anything that can enhance the decision-making of the physician, of the clinician, and do that with, with less time, which means less inconvenience for the patient, less burden and worry for the patient, worrying about what might I have, what's possibly wrong with me. If we can identify what's wrong with the patient, the diagnosis, faster, and if we can then tailor make and customize a, a care plan for that patient based upon evidence that AI and machine learning gives us, the patient benefits two ways. Faster identification 
of something that may take years to find out. And then secondly, faster access to therapy, because now I've got my problem identified, I have faster access to the therapy that might impact it. So I believe in this world where we have a shortage of clinicians, shortage of cardiologists, limited resources, not enough staff beds, the answer is how do we optimize the efficiency and the yield of the limited capacity we have? And the, and the way we do that is to give the clinicians more power at their fingertips that they otherwise would not have without the AI and the machine learning tools. So I see AI machine learning as a huge solution to the problem we face, which is more demand for care than what we can provide. If we provide that care in the way we've always done it, it will drive up cost that will bankrupt our economy. The pathway out is to find lower cost ways of getting to the same outcome and do that faster so that we can get the patient connected to therapy faster. And I think the key to that is not smarter people, is not ask the smart people to work harder. It's to give them the tools they need to do the job that they're trained to do, but do it faster and better than they are currently able to do with the tools they have. AI and machine learning are critical tools that enhance the humans. They don't replace the humans. Yeah, uh, it's so, so well said. As, as we had our conversations with Dr. Valerie McLaughlin when, when we were working together here at Corvista Health, Tim, and, and she talked about the fact that, that as a pulmonary hypertension specialist, the fact that there were often six echoes that were done and they, they would see three to four physicians over three to five years. And then oftentimes these physicians would go through psychiatric care before they thought they had actual pulmonary hypertension. Um, the, the opportunity to shorten that time frame and, and all the angst and, and all the challenges that these people go through, um, I think we can really make a difference in, in the value of the care we bring to them. And, and I think it's, like you said, it's got to be, at the end of the day, it's got to be delivered to the physician's fingertips in conjunction with the patient. And we need to really focus on, on that interaction, that physician-patient interaction. And if, if we're all together focused on that, I, I think we can make a difference in, in the healthcare system that, that we see today. Yeah, I think um, you know, there are certain disease states that we know or certain conditions we know are very difficult to diagnose. Um, and you've heard a statistic from me before, I think, that even though we've made great strides in the U.S. lowering the, the mortality rate for cardiovascular disease in the last 50 to 60 years, one stat has remained unchanged, and that is for patients who are newly diagnosed with coronary heart disease, for half those patients, the way we find out they have that disease is they have a heart attack. And for a big chunk of those patients, it's the first and fatal heart attack. So we need to go upstream to find CAD earlier. And if you look at those episodes, in many cases, patients were having maybe other symptoms that weren't, that weren't identified as po possibly CAD. Uh, the other one is what you just mentioned with pulmonary hypertension. Even though it doesn't happen at a high frequency, it's, it's an overlooked disease. And by the time it's diagnosed, it's highly progressed. And by the time it's highly progressed, it's hard to treat. So it has had a debilitating effect on the patient physically and mentally. If we could find a 
very sensitive, accurate way to identify the disease earlier. Again, we would save all that downstream impact, uh, both emotionally, physically, and financially to the system. And then the, the third that we've talked about a long time is heart failure with preserved ejection fraction in, partic in particular. Uh, we know there are a lot of patients that have heart failure, but they have preserved ejection fraction. And we don't have good tools today to find those patients. Uh, so what if we had a solution that was able to, at any place that you have a 110 outlet and a Wi-Fi that you could identify that disease? Well, I think that could be transforming, transformative you know, for being able to find those patients. So I, I think that's where you know, AI, machine learning, and what CoreVista is doing, developing these solutions, we are, I, I, even though it's transformative and it's exciting, I actually believe we're still scratching the surface of what could happen over the next 20 years as we acquire more signals, we analyze those signals, we get more precision around those signals. I, I think the, the world is just opening up to us what we can learn from physiologic signals with AI and machine learning. We're absolutely at the infancy. I think I think when we are sitting on the beach having a drink in, in 15 years, we'll we'll look back and we'll absolutely marvel at where we're at with AI uh, at, at that particular time. Yep. It'll be unrecognizable. Exactly. And again, do do well by doing good. Yeah, come up with solutions that impact care delivery, that impact cost, that impact quality that can lower the cost of care for patients, employers, et cetera, you'll do well. And look at the amount of money, as I've told docs, I asked this question to cardiologists, of the $300 billion we spend in the United States on cardiovascular care, and these are cardiologists I'm talking to, so it's not, you know, not wild, reckless people like, like me you're talking to, I'm, we're talking to cardiologists. Uh, the question I have for them is if if you had to pick a, a percentage, how much of that $300 billion is avoidable if we had the optimal care model and the optimal delivery model? The lowest number I've ever heard from any cardiologist is 20%. The lowest, the highest number I've heard is 50%. Let's go with 20. 20% 20 of $300 billion is $600 billion that could be saved or could be used to care for other patients as baby boomers come into the system. And what's magical about that question is we're asking the right people. If you ask a hospital CEO how much of what you make each year of cardiovascular spending is avoidable, your answer is going to be low because I don't want any of it to be avoided. <laughs> I want all that revenue. Um, and the insurance companies, they just look at it as, well, we, you know, we're going to mark it up anyway and make our margins. It's fine. That's, how, that's their business model. So interestingly, the cardiologists are in the best position to, they know intuitively, that patient that showed up with symptoms that we thought were heart failure, they got admitted, and five days and $20,000 later, we found out they didn't need to be admitted. The cardiologists know that a big chunk of heart failure admissions fit that category. So we've got to do it. We've got to do better at preventing those admissions, catching those patients before they go to the ED, while they're at the ED, whatever we can do. There's a lot of money to be saved by new care models, new delivery models, and new AI and other solutions that can enable that. 
just those heart failure admissions alone, if, if we could find a way collectively to reduce those, there, there's tens and tens of millions of dollars to be saved. Oh, yeah. And it's the fastest growing part of cardiovascular disease because we're, we're keeping patients alive longer post-MI. And, when we're, and thank, thank, thank God we're able to do that. They have quality of life, but then their heart muscle is, is becoming weaker and weaker and they move into heart failure, maybe alone or with comorbid conditions. So it's, it's, it's a burgeoning number. And again, it's happening all across the world. So we have to have a better solution for heart failure patients. And a lot of what we spend on heart failure patients, again, is avoidable. What if we could take some of the savings from the avoidable cost and spend it on things that actually make a bigger difference for those heart failure patients. And that's that's the promise of technology. That's the promise of care models that uh, I think we need. We really need to earnestly focus on how can we spend the money we spend on this disease better and get more value for patients and society. T- tell me about your thoughts. One, one of the things as we talked, I mean, you, you've spent some time in some rural communities or at least serving more rural communities. And, and we've talked a lot about the rural communities and the challenge of quality health cares, hospitals are closing down, there, there's there's less focused care in those areas. Those patients, I, I grew up in a rural area in North Dakota, those patients are my mom and dad and my, my grandmother and, and family members. How do we best care for those people as we're seeing these hospitals and institutions shutting down or, or, or contracting? Yeah, I mean, uh, they, we have, I think the statistic is roughly 50 to 60 million Americans who live in rural areas, and they get most of their care from rural facilities, whether it's a critical access hospital, small hospital, primary care doc, limited access to specialists there. That's where they go for care. So we need to, again, we think about the delivery system of healthcare. One segment where there's a big need for better health is the rural patient. Rural patients tend to have worse health status than their suburban counterparts, and then inner city patients have worse health than their suburban counterparts. So if we're really trying to make a difference in the health status, the rural patient needs to have better access. And you don't provide better access by having them bust by ambulances or vans to the big cities. That's not better access. Better access is thinking of a solution that can be easily delivered in a rural community of a thousand people, a hundred miles away from the next biggest town. It can't be a PET CT machine. It can't be a 128 slice CT machine. It can't be a cath lab. That's not feasible. But what can we do that is feasible there? And that's where, again, the solution that Core Vista is coming up with, that's very, very, very exciting when you think about the ability to distribute that solution to a remote rural population. And that could make a big difference because many of those patients, maybe they go to the rural ED in the critical access hospital. And the next thing you know, they're put in an ambulance and sent to the larger community because they they don't know what is going on with this patient. What if we could figure that out and save most of those transfers at a big cost financially to patients and the system? So yeah, I think rural health is an overlooked area of healthcare in the United States uh, certainly solutions like uh, Core Vista is coming up with, I think is tailor-made for those types of access points. Well, thanks for that, Tim. Uh, I really appreciate your input. Let me, let me ask you, I mean, 
as, as you're as you're working to develop CVA USA, um, a large portion of the the doctors that you interact with probably are in urban or suburban areas. But I would guess that they all, their group or their practices would also cover some of these remote areas. So it's obviously something that's forefront in your mind and you're thinking about. Is, is that accurate? Yeah, it's back to the uh, hub and spoke approach where you know, most cardiology groups have, have built a successful, large groups have been built successful regional programs by staffing rural clinics. Sometimes they call them outreach clinics or they go to that, that rural critical access hospital once a week or once every two weeks. Uh, and we know, I know from personal experience, if you see a patient who lives in that rural community and they need some testing that is only available in the big town, some of them just say, I don't want to do it. Just the fact they have to get somebody to drive them there, that's a hurdle that they can't overcome, whether it's financially or just they don't have the family support. And so it's frustrating that we have, again, patients with limited access to advanced technology. And advanced technology, we've, you know, we've tended to think of advanced technology as big boxes emitting ionized radiation or in the case with MR, you have very expensive MR machines. Uh, advanced technology doesn't have to be that. It can be something simple from a, from a solution standpoint, but can be very advanced. And the advancement is not necessarily in the machine. It's the ability for that machine, that, uh, that unit of solution to analyze something that has never been analyzed before in a sophisticated way. So yeah, I think cardiologists who serve rural areas are frustrated at times that they can't meet the needs of the rural patient because not every rural patient has the means, financially or otherwise, to come to the larger community for additional care. So at one, one of the things in, in, in my career and, and spending some time in, in looking at cardiovascular care and the role that hospitals would make on diagnostic caths, and, and that being a, not necessarily good for the patient, not necessarily something the, cardiolog- the interventional cardiologist wanted to do, but it, it is a cost center for, for a lot of hospitals. It, it sounds like your approach is really focused on ensuring that the physician gives the patient not only the best care, but the best experience of care. Looking at partnering with that patient long-term as opposed to just these short-term snippets, which, which may be looked at as, as a, a potential revenue maker. It's more about that, that relationship with the patient to uh, drive better care for them, but better experiences for them as well. Is that accurate? Absolutely. I think it's, um, again, th- think of it as the, the critical access hospital or the rural clinic is a distribution center of care. It distributes care. <clears throat> it's an access point for care. And right now, in most cases, it's limited in terms of diagnostic capabilities to a few modalities. But anything beyond that, you have to come to the larger facility. You know, so you're right, the, you know, the patients in those rural areas, you know, they oftentimes come in for a service in their suburban or the urban area that was avoidable, was unnecessary if there had been an alternative mechanism or, or means. But then the rural hospitals, then they lose that revenue as well. So here's the rural hospital, barely scraping by. You know, they're hanging on by pennies and quarters, and they 
don't have a whole lot that they can offer for some of these patients. But if we had the ability to keep those patients at the rural hospital and diagnose and manage them, that would be another opportunity for the rural hospitals to have at least some additional revenue from meeting the needs of those patients. And the patients would prefer to stay in those communities as well. So you look for you know, for that win-win. How can I treat that rural facility, whatever it is, critical access hospital, clinic, whatever, as an entry and distribution point for, for care? Better care and a better experience. And a better experience. Exactly. I was just going to say, I, I know there's a lot of people, uh, my uncle who passed away from brain cancer, uh, I tried to work with him to get him to Mayo Clinic, but he didn't quote unquote want to go to the big city. He wanted to stay in his local area. And there's so many patients that are comfortable going away from, from their comfort zone of, of their community. Yeah. And uh, it's about giving the best care and the best experience we can for these patients. Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, against, there are a variety of reasons why people don't want to come to the larger communities. Uh, but we know there are millions of people that have limited access to advanced services. And how can we, if we can't bring the patient to the advanced service, how can we take the advanced service to the patient? And again, that's where technology provides that solution. Tim, thank you so much for joining the Corps. It's always great to talk to you and your, your insight is just so valuable. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation and uh, look forward to talking again soon. Thank you, Tim. To learn more or listen to more episodes of The Core, please visit us at corevista.com. Please note, the Core Vista system is an investigational device limited by federal law to investigational use and is not available for commercial distribution.